Hi, everyone. Welcome to They Had Fun. I'm Rachel, and I am back with another amazing story about New York City. And I'm just going to get it right out of the way at the top. We are going to be off for the next two weeks for the holidays. I know I forgot to tell you guys on Thanksgiving, but we will be back January 3rd with a brand new story about New York City. Do not worry. But just to let you know, and considering that, I'm going to get straight into our Rachel's Rex, and then we're going to have a bonus Rachel's Rex for you. Okay, first up, you know that we are sticking with the holiday theme because that is what you guys wanted. And this weekend on another gorgeous Saturday in New York City, it was like 57 degrees again, very unseasonable, but lovely. I was, of course, walking around the West Village because that's what you do on a beautiful day in New York City sometimes. So I had my eye out for great decorations, good bars with decorations, restaurants with decorations, because I know you guys are always asking for that. And I just kept peeking into all these places and taking a look. And frankly, I mean, I don't know. Everyone has up a lot of good decor. I mean, I know people want to go to the places like Rolf's or Pete's or the Lillian's Victorian, whatever that's called. I don't know. I love Pete so much. The other two are not really for me. I'm not super into like the tacky over the top thing. I just want like a lot of good decor. So anyways, most places have it. But what I did find as I was doing a loop back, stopping by Sevilla to say hi to my guys, I turned down Bank, okay? And so this is my suggestion. Bank between West 4th and Waverly. This particular block just caught me. I would say no less than seven or eight buildings and or brownstones or houses on this block had up excellent holiday decor. And they all sort of had their own variation. There was definitely that classic brownstone feel with beautiful white lights and green garland. But there also was this one that was doing something super like contemporary and multicolored. And then there was one with no lights, but that had all this beautiful like brown leathery garland. I don't know what that was. But anyways, it was just a whole walk down the block. I was like, this is stunning. So I just started taking pictures and video. And I was like, I think this should be my Rachel's wreck for this week. Because what's even better than getting to the end of beautiful Bank Street with all this great decor up. And then you get right to the corner of Waverly and you're right at the Waverly Inn. And you can stop for a drink. And the Waverly Inn has is doing it so good. Now this place is super popular. It can get packed. We know all of these things. But if you are just strolling down that street and you hit it at the right time and you land in front of there and they've got their Christmas lights up on their tree in the front and you go down the little stairs and you get to the bar and they've got the fireplace, they've got all the garland up. It is a perfect end to doing that little walk as long as it's not wildly packed. So just keep your fingers crossed on that. Keep in mind when I went in, it was like 4.30. They do not allow any seating until five in the regular dining room. So the bar was packed. So I think the key is considering the sunset in New York City is at like fucking four o'clock these days, which is just killing me. Considering that, it's really like going to see the lights on bank around like 4.55 o'clock, ending up down the street around 5.10 or so, 5.15, once people have gotten seated, and then hoping you can snag a bar seat real quick once everyone has moved. That's what I'm suggesting. Fingers crossed that that works out for you. But yeah, that's like a great little New York evening. Doesn't cost a lot of money. Go sit down at the bar, get a martini. That fireplace in there is particularly great if you can get a seat. Okay, now... Considering that we are going to be off for two weeks and I will only be doing the Rachel's Rex on our Instagram, why aren't you following us if you're not? They will be in the form of reels. But I wanted to tell you guys one that I'm planning to do because I think it's something I've talked about on the podcast before, but I'm finally going to make it a Rachel's Rex. So I'm bringing you a third one for this week, but keep this in mind for next week when you don't have a new episode from us. Okay, every year for the past, I believe, 12 years, my husband and I have celebrated Fancy Hotel Lobby Bar Night, TM, okay? This started as an absolute whim. 
Here I am giving us another really long intro again this week. I apologize. It started as a whim. We were out on what happened to be Black Friday. I didn't realize it, but we were near the Apple store at 59th Street. I had to get a case for my phone. So I'm buying this case. We're across from the Plaza Hotel and we're so young and we're like dressed like idiots. I was like, let's go to the Plaza Hotel. It's right there. We can get a fancy drink. Like, let's just treat ourselves. And he was like, okay, let's do it. And I wound up being really funny because it was so expensive when we had no idea what we were doing. He was going to get a beer and I was like, no, you got to get a martini. And then the guy like charged us I think $18 and I was like oh I'm so sorry sir like I think you got the price wrong on this and he's like oh yes you're right brings it back he'd only charge us for one it was $36 but I was just so young and like gobsmacked that a drink could cost that much anyways started as an accident it became a annual tradition in our relationship that we always go to fancy hotel lobby bars around the holidays if you have never done this like we talk about on the show all the time if you think I do not belong in these rooms I promise you, you do. You just got to throw out the money. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg, but it is worth it one time of year. So we have done them all. We've done the Plaza. We've done Bemelman's. We've done the St. Regis. We've done the Waldorf Astoria when it was still here. We've done one in Paris. We've done the Beekman. I'm just saying we've done all sorts. We've done at least 10 of them. This year, we are going back to old school and we are going to try and get into Bemelman's. Now, I know it's become wildly popular these days, but we're going to try it on a Tuesday. Anyways, this is all just to say, if you are up for it, if you have a little bit of extra cash, if you want to do something fancy and treat yourself, go do a hotel lobby bar night, maybe dress up a little bit, just go in New York City and get that sort of luxury holiday experience that you deserve. I promise you that's my last one for now. We're rounding out the Rachel's Rex, but that is an anticipation for next week. It will be coming to you. Look out on Instagram for a reel I'm going to make about it. That's the end of the intro. Another long one. I promise these will not continue to be the theme. Let's get into my guest for today. Like many a New Yorker, as we know on this show, he has a list of accolades. We're just going to give you a few of them. You're also going to hear about how I met him. The theme continues. So by day, he has a regular day job, just like the rest of us. He is a paralegal, but he happened to also be the author of two phenomenal cocktail books. The first one being Drink simply that is the title the second one is called the infused cocktail handbook and on top of all of that if that isn't enough he also runs the manhattan whiskey club please can you tell the theme of the things he likes in life please welcome to the show kurt maitland hey it's nice to be here now we get to do as i always do i let the listeners into knowing how i get all of my little guests to be on the show and in a surprise to no one because it's a frequent happening here on they had fun i met you at a bar yeah. Well, considering what I do, it would make sense that you meet me at a bar. <laughs> Very much so. So we were lucky enough to be seated at a bar together, this time a little fancy. Like all New Yorkers, we sort of struck up a dialogue, found out you were a very interesting person, as we heard from your bio, doing every single thing, just like New Yorkers do. And just like you said, given what you do, it would make sense we would meet at a bar. So mm -hmm. let's talk a bit about that. You have authored two books on cocktails and... You happen to run the Manhattan Whiskey Club, which is just so cool. Now, as you know, I don't drink whiskey. It is not for me. And you did try and convince me and told me that you will get me to like whiskey, which I'm hoping will happen. But tell me a bit about the Manhattan Whiskey Club. When did you start it? Why did you start it? Give us all the deets. Why should people join? It started, and I think about it, it's like seven or eight years. It's funny. I can't tell if it's the drink, so I'm just getting senile. <laughs> But it started because I was at a Ardbeg tasting. Ardbeg's this peaty Scottish whiskey. And I ran into three gentlemen. And we started talking the same way when we met, we started talking because apparently I'm a chatty fellow. <laughs> yes. And I said something along the lines of, I'd like to start a whiskey club. And these gentlemen were like, 
we have a conference room and literally that's how the club started. Um, we have people, you know, join the club, they come to events, they have some drinks and they go home. And what's useful about it is that whiskey is expensive. So we look at it as educational as much as drinking is fun. It's mm-hmm. like you get to learn about different drinks, different whiskeys, different brands and learn what you like. It does sound super fun, even though, you know, that's not like my favorite spirit. Just being in that room and talking to people and having the experience sounds like a bunch of fun. I don't want to be your like brand ambassador here, but like, frankly, the the cost, like you're saying, to be a member of the club, like it truly pays for itself. You get to try all these interesting whiskeys and I think it's so cool. Like I'm, I'm, I'm being honest, like people really should consider joining the club. If you have any interest in like, number one, a social activity that isn't just going to a bar, frankly, you'll be doing the same sort of things, but you'll get to know more people. You'll get to go to interesting spaces. You get to try new things. I just think it's like essentially so New York being like, this is what I'm into. And someone randomly being like, I got space. I want you to do it. And the cool thing is with the club is that like you're in New York and it's a busy place. You don't always just make friends hanging out. Yeah. It'll, New York can be the loneliest place on the planet when you first get here. If you don't know anybody, you didn't come with anybody. You're just like trying to make your way into people's social groups. Totally. Well, the kind of the club gives you a way in. It's a great idea. I'm so glad that you followed through on it. I mean, you seem like the ultimate follow througher. Like we were saying, you have a career in law <laughs> and then you also have written cocktail books. You've got drink, which is kind of like a Bible on cocktails. We've got infused cocktails. Would you just like to talk to us a bit about where this obsession with booze came from? Well, I can certainly say where the obsession with booze came from. Really, I tell everybody it started because like me and beer don't get along. Ah. So a friend of mine introduced me to like a Pimm's cup and then Jameson whiskey. And I had other things I could drink that weren't beer. I mean, even though I had my first drinks really were cocktail, it was whiskey, 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 whiskey. It was that was my primary focus. And then I started writing about whiskey for the Whiskey Reviewer website. And out of the blue, um, a publisher reached out to me and asked me to write a cocktail book. And the funny thing is, and it's always awkward when I get interviewed or I talk to people who want to get into writing. They're like, well, how'd you get that first book? I'm like, they called me. What? Yeah. They called me and said, hey, we need someone to write a cocktail. And I'm like. (laughs) I don't really write about cocktails. I write about whiskey. And they're like, yeah, we don't want a whiskey book. We want a cocktail book. And I tell people, I'm like, okay, I'm arrogant enough to figure if you give me enough time, I can write anything. Yeah. There's 1,100 cocktails in that book. So lots of options. Even though I don't think even the guys who asked me to write it, the editors didn't expect it. It was kind of like they got what they wanted. They wanted a compilation. I gave a little extra. So everybody was happy, you know? (laughs) not to be your hype woman again or your salesperson, but it it really is a book for anyone Like who wants to learn something. I have to say the part that I like the most, listen, I'm sure you've been through a lot of drudgery in your life, Mm -hmm. but I feel like most New Yorkers are put through the fucking ringer all of the time with everything being hard and work being hard and costs and rent and all that jazz. And I love you being like, yeah, I got my first book. Uh, Somebody just called me. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) And my friends, when I first did my book, they're like, here, finally, Kurt, we figured you'd had a book 10 years ago. I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, <laughs> But it worked out because it's just like it opened up my eyes to a different part of the industry. No, I think, listen, you definitely earned that. Like it wasn't like it appeared out of thin air, but I love that it wasn't like, oh, I'm putting in 20 book proposals. Like sometimes it's nice to just 
get a feather in your cap and a win that is still deserved, but like, you know, still they get a win. Okay. So we've learned about your club. We've learned about your books, all of these incredible things that you do. So we're going to get into the main questions of the show. Cause I'm excited to hear a lot about your history. Let's get started with the first one. And that is of course, when did you move to New York? This is a two-parter. Okay. I was born here in the early 70s. Hell yeah. I was born in Brooklyn and we moved away in 78 after the blackout, which was in 77. These blackouts are constantly featured on this podcast. I don't know. They always find a way of weaving themselves into people's stories. I'm sorry. Keep going. Because, well, no, it's okay. Because the thing is, is like, it's one of those experiences where it was citywide. So ever, no matter what borough you lived in, you experienced it. It can be traumatic or joyous. Like I think the blackouts in the 2000s, 03 or something, it's like people were happy because like all these bars were selling half price drinks because their coolers are going to go down. Yes. That's not the blackout I had. My <laughs> blackout was guys were like looting and like, you know, it's a fun memory because nothing happened to me and nothing happened to my family. But it's also, I understand as an adult, why my parents decided to move like the next year. Yeah, totally. So I'd have been seven when I, w- when I was taken against my will to Pennsylvania. Yeah. (laughs) I was there till I was 18, till I went to college. It's a story we've heard before of like people's parents, you know, having to take them away for whatever reason. Yours was very understandable. Mm -hmm. And then really missing that pivotal, traumatic, all sorts of things. But then I'd love to know about when you came back. When when did you come back? All right. So throughout my adolescent and teenage years, I was back all the time. So like, you know, it's summer. I'd spend two weeks at my grandmother's house or my godfather's house. And I'd be running around Brooklyn sure. in the 80s. <laughs> go to college, go to D.C. Basically, I had a cool apartment in D.C., but my landlord had sold the apartment. Where I was working, I got like they were moving and I got laid off. Everything was in flux because I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking I'm not going to renew my lease with my landlord. What should I do? And I remember talking to my mother. She was like, well, you know, you don't have to stay in D.C. For some reason, like, it didn't occur to me, like, I could go anywhere. Like, if your job's gone, there's nothing I had to do to keep me there. So I'm like, all right, I'm going back to New York. Oh, God bless your mother. Yeah. No, true enough. You know, it was a good idea. So I moved to New York. I moved back the fall of 2000. Of course, the second question is always, why did you move to New York? Obviously, we know you lived here when you were younger. You had a landlord situation. But, you know... Even when she opened your mind of you don't have to stay in D.C., you could have chose L.A., you could have sh- chose Chicago, you could have gone to wh- – why did you move to New York? You say that, I could, but it's like in my head, the only other option would be to leave the country, which to any other person, any people who are, don't live in New York, they think you're crazy. <laughs> but I'm like, you go to other cities and I'm like, yeah, go to Houston, it's not New York. <laughs> go to L.A., it's not New York. But I think when I was leaving D.C., I think New York made the most sense. I mean, it did, except I should have had more money when I came up here. But I think it's so funny. It's so true. People look at you like you have three heads. If you're like, well, the only place to live is Europe, if not here. <laughs> I totally agree with you. Like that is, and yeah. every New Yorker feels that exact same way. Mostly, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, I could go to London or Paris, I guess. Yeah. Or I, I can go to go- London, <laughs> I can go to Paris. I mean, also it's like, you could throw in like, Hong Kong. Yes, yes, Tokyo. Yes. For many of us and someone who would be willing to be on a show like this, there's no leaving. You've been here for such a long time now. You came back in 2000s, 23 years you've lived your life here. Mm-hmm. I just think it makes you such a great New Yorker. And, you know, I have to do my thing now where I transition. And it's because of all of this and because your life here from zero to seven and choosing to come back and loving it so much. I have to ask you the most important question of the show. And that is, of course, Kurt. 
What is the most fun you've ever had in New York City? I So I came back to visit a friend who I knew from D.C., and he was living here. And he had, was renting out or subletting somebody's artist loft down like in the West Village. Okay, so you're visiting him. You're not living here. Correct. Okay, and what year is this? This is the 90s. Okay. So, you know, we're old friends. We hang out. This loft is cool because, you know, those artist lofts that are down there, it's like... You know, you have the big windows and lots of space and all that kind of stuff. Like the person who owns it, they're like summering in another state or out of the country or whatever. And we're just hanging out. And so anyway, we, we go out to get breakfast and somehow my friend locks us out of the apartment. And the person who, whose apartment it is, they're nowhere near. So we have to figure out a way to get back in it. But like my friend is calling like the neighbor or whatever else. But what ends up happening is we end up just wandering around the city and going from like friend to friend to space to space until we finally get back in. Yes. So you're in the village, you stop. Because we, I mean, we had our wallets, we had money. I didn't have a cell phone back then because you're talking 90s. Like I didn't need a cell phone. Beautiful. You're literally going to like, you're hitting the payphone or get a call from a friend's house trying to catch the person who could let you in. But also really living in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so like we wander around, we like walk to a park, we go over to the West Side Highway and like sit out and look at the water. It's summer. We run into like Christina Ricci getting a pack of cigarettes at some like some shit bodega. <laughs> and like you're experiencing New York. He had a friend who had her parents had a place like Lower East Side Soho and she was borrowing it. So we end up there for a while to get out of the heat and I hang out in this cool like apartment for a bit. And the depth and breadth of all the options that were laid out, you know, for me when I'm can't go where my stuff is, all my shit's locked in the apartment, like my clothes, my whatever else still had a great time. Yes. This wasn't planned. This is literally just wandering around the city, going in and out of places to eat here. Let's grab a drink here. Like we got time to kill. We got nothing else to do. You know, let's go here. Let's walk over there. And like, I've never been in that park. Let's go in that park. Let's walk down to Soho to catch up with this friend of yours. We'll give a shelter for a little bit while we try to get back in. I think we got in, it was dark. And I think the deal was either we got in the building, he went out on the ledge, went back through because the window was open, <laughs> crawled through the window and opened the door. And then we got back in. You know, it's funny. It's like we're exhausted and it's hot and probably we would have hung out and then gone out that night. At this point, we were burnt. Like, you know, we'd had our adventure for the day. Yes, unplanned. We're like, you know, we'd had our fun and now we were just happy to relax, you know, have a drink. But on some level, that was priceless. Just the fun we had and the hanging out, even though it was like something that could be annoying. I love that you guys took that opportunity to be like, this could be the worst, but or we can just roll with it. Yeah. Again, it was a visit, but it sums up part of what I love about this place. It's that like, if you were bored, it's your fault. There's no reason why you can't find something to do with yourself if you live here. I think the biggest takeaway from this is, number one, how fun New York can be, of course. But two, of making lemonade out of lemons and just being like, we're trapped outside, but we're in the greatest city in the world. What can't we do? And to being open to that. And yes, like, you know, it didn't get debaucherous. Like you said, you came in and you stayed in for the night. Like, of course you did. You walked all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've had a ton of fun in all sorts of ways. But these are the stories I love to hear that they really stick out to people. It's like, yeah, I could tell you I went and partied and did drugs all night. But I love hearing stories like this where it's like, 
honestly, I got locked out of an apartment and I just <laughs> had a great day with my dear friend and just let anything happen to me. And as much as we all love to plan and get the reservations and everything, these are the moments that matter. These are more New York than anything. You're not going to have this anywhere else. Well, and it's also, it's like spontaneity doesn't happen that often. And so you don't do stuff like that as much as you'd like. Mm-hmm. It's really the opportunities that kind of are there for you in New York. That's the important part. That's what, you know, that's why I stay. You know what? Tell them, Kurt. Tell them, Kurt, this is why New York is great. And I totally agree with you. Everyone should hear this. I know I say this every story, but it's the truth. Hear these stories of fun. Hear these stories of spontaneity. Be inspired to go out and do something like this. And of course, because you love New York City so much, I have to ask you my last and final question of the show. What is your favorite thing about New York? I mean, it's hard because there's a lot of things. I think it's really, um, I find they get bored easily. Like how I said, it's like, if you're bored here, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. If you want to eat at three in the morning, it's somewhere's open. You want to go see some crazy movie. Hey, it's great. You want to go see live music. It's there somewhere. You would just want to walk around and look at cool old buildings. It's there. There are parks. It's there. And New York encourages you to go out and do those things, to go out and engage. And again, if you're here and unhappy and you're here and you're bored, it's a rough city. I'll, I'll concede that right now. But there's so many things you can do to entertain yourself. All those things are there for you whenever you want them or even when you don't want them. Even (laughs) even when least expected, you can wind up on a walk with one of your best friends. Yep. Just walking around, having some fun. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful answer. It's essentially the options. And I think you and I are very similar. I get bored very easily and I love doing a lot of things. And I love that New York offers me 1 million things to do every single day, whether they cost $0 or $6,000. Kurt, thank you so much for being on the show, for talking to us about everything that you do and for telling us that great story and about your life in New York City. I really loved talking to you. Cool. You know, we'll have to do it again. I guess there there are more stories. (laughs) Always more New York stories. Well, most of all, thanks, New York. They had fun. Because I was taken against my will to the suburbs, I've learned to loathe the suburbs. 